Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, Radio Land. This is Richard and Linda Ayer once again on Ayers on the Road. And right now we are in the airport instead of on the road. We are in Houston and we're getting ready to board a plane for Bogota, Colombia, where we've never been before, which is exciting. We hope you listeners uh, don't mind hearing a little background noise now and then because our commitment is to try to do this show no matter where we are, hence the name Ayers on the Road. And uh, today we're just about ready to go to Columbia, and it's a place we've never spoken to parents before. Uh, A rough count is that we've spoken to parents in about... 63 countries, give or take, but never in Colombia before, and we're going through Bogota, but we're actually going to end up in Cartagena, for those of you that know Colombia. Wouldn't have wanted to go there a few years ago when it was known primarily for its drug cartels, but it's a much safer place now, and we're actually going to address a large association of international schools International schools, as many of you may know, are uh, schools that are private and they're set up primarily for expatriates where people are living in other countries. They might be embassy people, they might be corporate business people, but they have children who, for various reasons, they want to have a private education, not a local education. Oftentimes in these countries, the local education is not too good, and it's also entirely in the language of the country. And many of these expatriates have kids who only speak English or who only speak some other language, so they come to these international schools, which are very proficient in teaching language, but they also teach uh, subjects in English, and they manage to integrate the children of these expats who are living abroad. And we like these schools. We've spoken a lot of them to parents. But this particular trip is to speak to the administrators of a lot of these schools all through Latin America. And so we're hoping that what we can do, our mission, should we choose to accept it, Linda, is to go down there and see if we can convince a lot of these schools that one of the things they ought to do is to focus on teaching values universal values, not values that anyone would say, well, wait a minute, whose values are these? But universal values like honesty and courage and respect and so on. And we're going to try to persuade them to do this on a monthly basis where each school has a value of the month. And, of course, it'll be based on our on our book, Teaching Your Children Values. Now, Linda, does that sound like what we're out to do here on this trip? <laughs> It does, and the interesting thing about South America is is that they have amazing families. Uh, The families we've been to a lot in Central America and some in South America, um, we've found that the family ethic is really stronger across the board than they are in America. It is quite amazing. These families, the last time we were, I think, in El Salvador, they were saying that they have... um, a family lunch together every day. The kids come home from school for lunch and they sit around the table and enjoy their food 
and talk, and then the kids go back to school, and the dads go back to work, and then work until midnight. But they do have that wonderful family time at a family meal at lunchtime, and they are so committed, and also the extended families. They meet together every weekend, and they do this in a lot of countries. Remember when we were in Saudi Arabia, they said that uh, they were meeting every weekend with their extended family. In fact, it was kind of funny at one point because this family said, oh, to get our whole family there, it's like 65 people, so I have to take my plane twice. I have to go back and forth twice to get everybody there. And I said, your plane? They said, oh, yeah, you know, we have a a plane. We just just see about that. We have a family plane. Yeah, so, you know, there's different ways to get together on the weekends. But by and large, we are so impressed with the families in South America. In fact, you know, we often say on this show that one of the great things about parenting is that it is very similar and the challenges are very similar around the world. What we really mean by that is that parents everywhere kind of have the same hopes and dreams and worries and fears for their children, but uh, what we don't mean to say is that the family cultures are the same throughout the world. In fact, I think this is kind of where we're going with this show. We're going to try to devote this particular show to some thoughts about how, how much we can learn as parents, as American parents, about certain things, certain family priorities and policies and good practices from other cultures that are very different than ours and that sometimes can uh, teach us a great deal. And, and Linda, you're right in saying, I, you know, that there, there, there is a Latin American culture that family is extremely strong. Sometimes people tie that to the Catholic Church, which is the predominant religion in most Latin American countries, but it's more than that. It's a it's a deeper culture of extended family, and it's not rare at all for us to find families when we go to these countries who, like you say, Linda, they meet together every single week, and sometimes there are lots of people there because some of these families are still very large. And the other thing that's quite remarkable, especially from our standpoint as grandparents, is that the patriarch and matriarch of these families are the grandpa and the grandma. And it'll usually be at their house, these weekly gatherings. And um, whereas in some parts of America, you sometimes find grandparents are almost put out to pasture, they're, they're, or they go out to pasture, they go live on a golf course and don't have a lot to do with their kids anymore. But in the Latin culture, it's always three generations and sometimes more. And oftentimes the grandparents have as much to do with raising the children as the parents do. And when there's a decision to be made, and this is the part I like, Linda, they always defer to the grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you would love that. Um, but I have to say that um, this this can go... Either way, because when we were when we were in Indonesia and Malaysia, not only do the grandparents the grandparents look to, but they actually live with the in-laws. The wife leaves her family and goes to live with her husband's family, and it is quite amazing. We have met so many outstanding families that are doing this, and they have to defer to the mother-in-law because it's her home, and they're big homes. They're huge, and they're 
they're expensive and lovely and so on in, in the case that we saw, but I'm sure there are others that aren't, and it is such a difficult situation. I don't think we'd want to go that far. But in well, fact, there is a family... In many countries, that is, I mean, it's not about how much money they have or how big their house is. It's just the cultural tradition that once that marriage occurs, the first place that they go to live is the parents of the father. And that's just how it is, and everyone does it. Right. And, well, the family that we, in fact, we were going to go back and do a family reunion for them um, this fall, but that didn't exactly work out but in another year we might do it but it really was amazing because they when we were with them last time they said well we are building a bigger house um for everybody because everybody's having kids now and so we're building a bigger house and so we're all going to go off to our own little houses and Mm -hmm. then we're going to gather back together again and then they wrote and said well guess what we liked it so much being on our own that we've decided we're all just building our own houses, which is so unusual and so culturally different than what we do in the U.S. Well, again, it's that that amazing idea of of, uh, extended family. Another thing, and again, a lot of you listeners know this, a lot of you have traveled in Latin American countries, but another thing we, we admire about families south of the border, so to speak, is that, uh, their 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 affection for each other is much more open and much more physical, if I can just say that, than than a lot of Americans. And um, it's a marvelous thing. I mean, the embrasso, which is basically a big hug, replaces the handshake or the pat on the back or whatever. And there's there's a lot of open demonstra- demonstrative love shown for family members. Uh, even to the point of sometimes a lot of kissing, uh, depending on which culture you're in, and and sometimes to to sort of uh, more uh, people that show their feelings a little less. Some Americans do uh, that almost seems overboard, but we've we've seen a lot of interesting studies that well, let me be blunt about it, that show that the more affection children get from their families while they're little, while they're kids, the more physical affection they get, the less likely they are to act out sexually or to seek physical affection uh, from their peers, from the, the, the opposite sex, so to speak. And so um, it's a wonderful thing. And I, I, uh, I've come to the point where I just wish more Americans showed more physical affection within their families. I don't know if you feel that, Linda, but I really do. Yeah, I think it's it's never harmful. It's just always a good, loving way. And everybody, of course, has a different way of showing that because of their family and where they came from and so on and so on. But it is really an interesting phenomenon. Another thing that I am always so impressed with, with these international schools, is the kids all speak at least four languages, sometimes seven languages, fluently. And um, it's just quite incredible because they're international schools. Usually they come from a different country. Often they're American kids who are living in, um, in, in Latin America. And so they speak fluent Spanish or Portuguese or whatever. But also many times it's from all over the world. These kids come with their own set of languages and then they come into these international schools and speak English. And I think really all of the international schools speak English as their main language. Isn't that right, Richard? 
Well, yeah, but let's let's clarify. We're kind of talking about two things here. We're, we're talking about these international schools because that's where we're headed on this trip. But we're also going to spend some time in this program talking about what we as American parents can learn from the, the parenting culture of other countries. And, of course, uh, that's not just the kids at the international schools because those are largely expats, but the kids who, who live in Chile or in Venezuela or the families that uh, live in Argentina or Paraguay or Colombia or whatever. And there is this Latin sort of loving nature. There's this gathering for family meals. It's much more rigorous, much more consistent than, than Americans do it. And there's this extended family thing that is really, really so remarkable. And even though the, the local kids may not know a lot of languages, it's pretty rare that they don't have a working, even young kids of, of English and sometimes of French, depending on what country they're in, along with their Spanish. And, and it reminds me of the old, the old joke, honey, that... Uh, I'm sorry, but we're the we're the butt of the joke on this one. But uh, it's the one that says, you know, if you if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak several languages, you're multilingual. If you speak one language, you're American. <laughs> and that is so true. Which is why I am so impressed with these kids because there's something about learning a language that changes your brain. I'm convinced of that. I mean, it's a way of learning um, that is just remarkable. When we were in uh, the Czech Republic this year, those kids that we met with were going to an international school, but they spoke six languages. Both the teenagers, uh, 17 and 15, spoke so many languages, but they were so brilliant. They spent so much time learning and thinking, and I think it does change your thought processes when you learn a language, but boy, do we feel dumb. One language. Well, but you know, there is a, there is an interesting phenomenon right here in Utah, I say here in Utah, back home in Utah, where we have a higher percentage of the population than any other state that speaks a foreign language, and of course that's because of LDS missions, and that's why during the Olympics we could speak any language of any athletes that showed up in 2002 and it's it's quite a wonderful thing that we gain those languages by going out and doing doing missionary work but um then again well, a lot I of do, us lose them to... after a lot of us lose us lose them after we get home but we're we're out of time in this first segment honey but when we come back if you agree, let's talk a little about other parts of the world and, and customs of parenting and family traditions and cultures that we as American parents can really learn from and would do well, in many cases, to implement. All right, we'll do that. We'll be back in just a minute. And here we are, Richard and Linda, back for the second half of today's program of Ayers on the Road. And Linda, when you think of other cultures where we have been and visited with parents and, and you think about things that we admired, things that we felt like, wow, I wish more American parents would do that, things that we thought were culturally 
probably better for kids and better for families than what we're used to in our American culture. What, what comes to your mind? What part of the world do you think of? Well, I think of so many families having dinner together. I just think that makes such a huge difference in your family culture if you really spend time uh, with your family at dinner time. As Americans, gosh, we're just refueling. I mean, we're going crazy trying to get kids from one soccer game to one piano lesson to, you know, the next trumpet deal or whatever it is. It is just, we're, we're crazy. We get our kids so involved in things. And I just remember one year, uh, it was the soccer, the end of a soccer season, and we had four little boys in soccer, and they each had two practices and a game on Saturday. And honestly, I set them all down on the top stair. I'll never forget it. They were all squished together, and I said, you guys, I am so sorry. We are not going to do soccer in the spring. We have had it. We just cannot do it. We are not eating together. We're not talking. <coughs> and they looked back at me and said, oh, good, Mom, because we don't like soccer. And I could have just wrung their neck, like, why didn't you tell me that before? And why was I doing that? Why was I driving myself crazy as a mom? Because we think we have to have our kids touch every single thing in case they might be a ballerina, in case they might be a great violinist. It's We're crazy. We really need to back off and let's talk about how we can have a dinner time together. And uh, we don't even suggest parents try to do it every night, but like three times a week. If you, three out of seven is not asking too much. We used to preach this on and on. Please get together with your family well, because we can see the good that it's doing in these families that are having dinner together every night in all these other countries. Well, and I think I, that isn't, I was going to go to some specific other parts of the world, but I think that's a good place to start that almost everywhere, whether you're talking about Asia, whether you're talking about Europe, whether you're talking about Latin America, the, the, the cultures, the cultures really do. I'm not sure uh, that uh, Australia was quite as much. They're, they're so Americanized, but in most yeah, of that's... these other cultures, most of the other cultures with other languages, interestingly, where other languages other than English are the primary language, there seems to be this gathering instinct and, the kids are the same. The kids have the same problems. They have the same interests. They have the same sort of uh, nature. But it's just so ingrained that they do get together and have dinner. And it's just it's the time. It it's sort of the one. It's sort of the thing that covers all the other problems. Because if you've got a family that's going to eat together, even though they've got all these problems, they're going to at least address them occasionally around the dinner table, which is a wonderful thing. But let me. Let me move to another area entirely. I, every time we go to Asia to speak to parents, we are impressed at the fact that by, again, it's not some conscious choice they've made, but, but their culture is to be more positive with their children in many ways than Americans are. And what I mean by that is if you watch families in this country usually the kid who's getting all the attention is not the kid who's doing well or being polite or being respectful, although we hopefully we compliment kids for that. But the kid that's getting all the attention is the one who's out of line, who's acting up. And we talk so much about discipline and about punishment and about 
straightening out this kid that has a problem. You you don't hear that. I hope I can explain this because it really it's really very different. But what you hear more of in Asia is a lot of praise for the kid that's doing well and a kind of a cultural ability to basically ignore the kid who's acting out of line. Now, of course, if it's flagrant, you've got to do something about misbehavior. But you see a lot of parents who, who've learned, or at least their culture has taught them, that what kids hate most is to be ignored. And, and if they're getting a lot of attention for cutting up or for acting out or for being a bossy or just whatever their little problem at the moment happens to be, it actually is going to perpetuate the problem. I always love to tell that little story, Linda. You've heard it so often. You, you probably want to put your phone on mute while I tell it. But the time I was in a home in Japan, and um, there was just this little kid who was just screaming and yelling and throwing a tantrum, and I couldn't even talk to the mother. And I kept wondering, when is she going to discipline this unruly child? And she never did. She just totally ignored him. In fact, when it got too loud, she sort of pushed him. He was on the floor, and she sort of slid him into another place and closed the door. It turned out it was a closet. But she didn't look at him, and she didn't yell at him, and she didn't sort of discipline him. She just removed him because he was bugging us. I mean, he was, he was obstructing our conversation. And I'm like, whoa, that was interesting. And then what happened next was even more interesting. The little guy got his act together, stopped crying, came out of the closet, stood politely and patiently by his mom until there was a little break in the conversation and then said, excuse me, mommy. And now she pays attention to him. Now she looks at him. Now she gets down on one knee and looks him right now and says, yes, honey. And, and, you know, is ready to listen to him, but she was not about to listen to him or even acknowledge him while he was being impolite and throwing his little tantrum. And I thought, whoa, that is a whole new approach to parenting. I've got to try to emulate that more with my kids. Well, it sounds easy, but it is the hardest thing in the world to do because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, you know, if they're in your face, it is so hard to ignore them, but I agree that that's the best thing you can do is just remove them. I mean, everybody does time out, and that's a good thing. But, I mean, just from the conversation, just get them away from that conversation, give them some time to blow off a little steam and, and just be alone and figure out that they are not going to get what they want until they calm down. So it really is a good idea. It's just so hard as a mom to do that. A mom who's written a book called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch. I mean, really, <laughs> it is so tough. They just drive you to the edge, and then you sometimes fall over. But anyway, I, um, but I, I do yeah, think I, we, did, I did want to just underscore that, though. That is a cultural difference. Almost everywhere we go in Asia, we see that sort of flip of parents trying, maybe harder than we do in America, to give attention to positive behavior and to ignore negative behavior. And let me just quickly add that uh, uh, the thing we always comment on, Linda, when we're in Europe with parents is 
and part of this is just the way their society works, but they, they seem to really, almost to the point of doting on their children, part of it is they get longer vacations than most Americans. They take a lot of extended family trips where they have a lot of communication with their kids. And they also, I mean, I'm sort of making an excuse for us, I guess, they tend to have much smaller families. And if you've just got one or two kids, it's a little easier to, you know, dote on that child and give him a lot of attention, a lot of time, a lot of uh, your uh, focus. And But we do always notice that. And remember we were... Uh, there was that one article, in fact, it's a book, I guess, recently about French parents and how how they seem to kind of have it together in many ways more than American parents. And then, remember we were in that restaurant and there was a French family. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was Raising Baby, I think. And, and it, it's a book about how uh, calm and so on the French parents are and, and uh, that their children are just, so good and, you know, orderly and uh, polite. And so we went to a restaurant across the street from our hotel and we, this and while we were France, talking about this. this yeah. No, it was just, yeah, this no, was in, in San Diego or somewhere. Yeah. Right, right. And while we were talking, this cute family across from us had two kind of teenagers, like 13, 15, and they were so cute. We thought now that goes to show you there are some American families that are just wonderful too so they stood up and walked past us on their way out and they were speaking french it was really uh you know a balloon popper. that was pretty funny but you know these, these half hours go by so fast linda we're out of time again but let's just end with a kind of a summary that uh parenting in many ways is the same all over the world but in but in many ways we can learn from the cultural patterns and habits and social norms of other parents in other parts of the world, and we should right. do it. We should put together the best of all worlds and do our best with our own kids. And you know what? We'll have a lot more to say next week because we will have been in Bogota or Cartagena for a few days, and then we're going up to Canada, so we'll have some to add next week. See you all then. See, see you then. <laughs> <laughs>